0: Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Victor Lambs. Hey, Victor. Hi, Dom. And Father Joseph Sund. Hey, Father.
1: May the 4th be
0: with you. Yes, we're recording this on the High Holy Day of May the 4th, soon to be followed by the Revenge of the Fifth.
2: Or as we musicians refer to it as uh, Dave Brubeck Day, because Dave he did Brubeck a lot Dave. of music in 5-4 uh, in time. So that's there you right. Go. Oh, that's right.
1: OK.
0: Yeah, I've seen that, too. I've seen that, too. My, my loyalties run a little toward uh, Star Wars, but the Dave Brubeck reference is important for today's show. But we'll get to that in a second. Uh, before we get to, to that, I want to tell the listeners about another show on the network they are sure to enjoy. The Secrets of Doctor Who. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash doctor who. Before we do get to our main topic, I do want to get to a little bit of listener feedback on our recent show where Father Corey talked about putting Linux on an old Mac and Jim writes in via email, hey, I really like this podcast. I've been a Linux user since 2004 and will not use anything else. I heard the comments that were made about Microsoft Edge. You actually can install Edge on Linux, but only on certain distros. I'm running at present Pop! OS on a 2011 MacBook Pro, and it's fairly quick. I did replace the mechanical hard drive with an SSD, which gave, gave the laptop a lot more speed. I'm on Gab.com and belong to a Linux group on there. This is where I found the article about installing Edge on Linux it can be downloaded as a .deb package. I downloaded and installed Edge without any problems. I checked Edge out for a little while and decided it wasn't for me, and uninstalled it. I'm a Linux purist, and I stay away from Microsoft software. Period. All right, thank you, Jim. That's great. <laughs> so, uh, the, if there's one thing I know about Linux users, they're willing to try anything, even if they yep. don't stick with <laughs> Microsoft. But if it's if it's a weird, fun computer thing they can do, they'll they'll try it.
1: I, so. I do have a confession to make today.
0: Oh, it's confession time, Father. Uh, <laughs> bless me, Father, for you have sinned. <laughs> what I, is your confession?
1: I am recording on a Windows 11 computer today.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, that, no. that is quite the confession. 11. Also, I'm making a backup recording on my end, so
1: we're safe. Okay, good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, excellent. And I've, we've had uh, some really good discussion about Linux on Macs. In our uh, Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. Uh, listener Rick has installed uh, a, 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 I think. Ubuntu on as a dual boot on an old iMac. He's had a little trouble. We've been talking about it back and forth or not me, uh, but the more knowledgeable members of our community about this sort of thing, Father Corey and others. And uh, it sounds really interesting, really cool. And I am going to do this. I have an old iMac sitting uh, nearby and I am going to install Linux on it at some point soon. Uh, Really, the only thing holding me back is I need more desk space. I don't have any room for it, but we'll we'll see.
1: I have a MacBook 2012, the same that our listener feedback um, had here. And Mm -hmm. I'm running um, Arch on that one. And it runs very well, um, solid state drive and brings 10-year technology back to life. So,
0: yeah, that was one of the great things about that episode was just learning that, you know, this 10-year-old computers can be given brand new life. You don't have to throw them out. You can keep using them. And they're useful. They're it's not just a, an experiment. They actually you can use them for the things you want to do uh, with this with the Linux operating systems yep. on them. So,
1: and my next Excellent. my next experiment is I have in the mail on the way right now a um, Microsoft Surface RT. Um, <laughs> that might be fun to try to get to work. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, and it's, and as we mentioned in. Um, Discord when we were talking with our friend who is trying to get Ubuntu working there. Um, part of the whole thing of being a Linux user is that you love challenges,
2: <laughs>
0: or you know someone who does. Yeah. <laughs> you can get someone to do it for you. That's the that's the key. I,
2: I always said I preferred Windows over Linux because I like working on my computer more than I like working on my computer. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yes.
0: That, that's like what I've heard some people say about like some certain British uh, sports cars. Yes. Having a regular car. I like working, driving my car as opposed to working on my car. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's get to our main topic because it's a big topic. I want to leave plenty of room for it because, uh, Victor, you're going to tell us about, you're a musician and you're yes. going to tell us about uh, how to make music at home inexpensively without breaking the bank, without you know, uh, buying thousands and thousands of dollars of stuff, but, but folks can regularly do at home. So first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself as a musician? And you've mentioned before that you've uh, made and distributed music, but, uh, tell us a little bit about your music background.
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, I took piano lessons as a kid, uh, was in various, uh, like small, you know, jazz quartets and stuff, uh, in my teenage years, but uh, you know, around nineteen gosh, maybe ninety-one or something, uh, maybe even a little bit before that, uh, a friend of, of mine and I built a MIDI interface for our Commodore 64 and I hooked that up to a Casio keyboard we had at home, and suddenly I was like playing music like from my Commodore sixty four through the Casio keyboard, and I thought that was the coolest thing. So uh from there I had a a Mac uh uh PowerBook 190, you know, with the uh Four megahertz processor, I think, oh, and uh, you know, had a had OpCode Vision <laughs> Studio hooked up to some keyboards through, you know, basically like the industrial MIDI interfaces at the time. But it was just really cool to me the fact that, you know, I could be a one man band or you know record, you know, drum parts, bass parts, keyboard parts, um, you know, all the music that I you know could hear in my head. I could I could record using this technology. Um, and it was clunky and it wasn't easy. And, you know, it, it sounds, you know, pretty silly today, like some old video game soundtrack or something, but, um, and since then, thing, the, the technology has just gotten more and more accessible, more powerful, um, you know, following Moore's law, I would say, you know, for what you get, it's, it's a lot cheaper, um, uh, today, you know, think with the semiconductor shortage and stuff, some of the prices have gone up over the last year or so I've noticed, but, for anybody who's ever been curious about, you know, hey, could I take some musical ideas I have and, you know, realize them and then, you know, share them, you know, with family or friends or even the world, it's there's never been um, an easier time to do that.
0: When we when we start talking about this, who is this for? Who are we talking to and how do we get started with this? What's the first step in, in all of this?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, this is really for for anybody, um, you know, you can kind of know what kind of musician you are or you aspire to be whether you're a singer songwriter you know you like picking up a guitar or a piano and and working on a melody and and putting some you know lyrics to that or or else you like uh you know more electronic music and you're really interested in you know making uh beats you know um that's a huge portion of of music making nowadays is you know those those lo-fi beats that the kids study to these days um and then other people you know i just want to compose or arrange really ornate orchestral parts and then you know you could have a band or your your kids could have a band and you just want to record them and and get that music out there so um you know really there's there's lots of different ways you can come at this the one thing i w- i would say is um just speaking you know from an artistic standpoint is i spent a lot of like wasted energy trying to make music that I I thought I wanted to make, you know, that wasn't really the music that I enjoyed listening to necessarily. So I can say that whatever kind of music you enjoy listening to, um, you know, that's probably the kind of music that you'd enjoy making the most as opposed to, you know, what you think you should be making or, or, you know, what you think might get the most views or, or the most uh, listens, just be, you know, authentic to yourself.
0: And uh from a tech standpoint where do we start?
2: Yeah, so I mean what's really great nowadays is is that you know tablets, cell phones, laptops, desktop computers are you know to some degree almost equally powerful when it comes to um to to working the tech behind it. Um you know years and years ago finding a computer you know that could record digital audio without a lot of dropouts or skips or breakups was you know, you'd have to spend thousands of dollars, and you typically only find them in you know college media labs or, or something or recording studios. But now, I mean, um, you know, if you have an Android phone or an iPhone, and your uh, you know Android phone is made by Samsung because they seem to have the best audio drivers. Apple's audio drivers are are excellent for their mobile devices. You can download a uh, you know free five dollar fifteen dollar app and and hook up uh, you know recording interface to it. Uh, you know, MIDI keyboard to it. And, and you basically have, you know, a digital studio in your pocket there. That said, I definitely prefer using a full size uh, PC with, you know, dual monitors, just because as you really get into the arrangement and stuff, uh, all of the instruments and effects uh, you you may be using, having the extra, you know, real estate and processing power does help.
0: So let's talk about some of the tools that we, that we would use to
2: make music. Is there a is there free tools we can start with, free software tools? Absolutely, yeah. So you don't even need to install any applications on your PC to just, like, noodle around. Um, there's a couple uh, that if you just want to start, you know, just drawing notes, making loops, uh, you know, jotting down melodies, um, one that I've used uh, in the past uh, called Beatbox, um, and we'll put the link in the, in the show notes, but it's it's a very simple tool. You literally just click with your mouse, uh, you choose what kind of scale, what key you want to be in, and then just, you know, draw notes on a scale and uh, off you go. The kind of cool thing about that is that then you can export it as a MIDI file. So if you do have a more advanced music program, you can take these ideas that you've created just in a browser, you know, while you're supposed to be working, maybe, um, <laughs> and and put them into a more a more full-fledged audio program. Um, you know, Audio Tool is another one. There's There's other ones that use you know, sample libraries and stuff, but just for like fun, I, I would say, you know, Beatbox is, is a good place to start and it's free.
1: Victor, that reminds me of, um, did you ever do ringtones with midis? Yes. Yeah,
2: I did. I did. I did ringtones. I did a uh, real audio. Dominic may remember. And this would yep. be about 20... Just about 20 years ago blog tones which I did yes. uh, a oh, series yes. of I did yeah, I have one of those yes. yeah. yeah so I, I did about 40 short um the idea was in the 60s you know people would record these jingles or, or they were called identitones. and so you know NBC's dun, 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 was one and so for a bunch of uh, people who had blogs and the catholic blogger spirit did about 40 of these and then had a real audio player embedded you know that would people could put them on their blog and stuff That was that was like the very exciting days of like digital music where nobody was really sure where the technology was going. And there were a lot of, you know, really seemed like really good ideas at the time. (laughs) But um, yeah,
0: I wonder where that is. I kind of have that somewhere around here
2: to dig it up. (laughs) Yeah, I probably have it like three or four PCs ago. So it's, you know, in a plastic tote in the in a furnace room or <laughs> utility room well, that blog is,
0: is still online. So it, it might even be in there anyway. Sorry. Yeah.
2: No. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean lots of, lots of fun things you can do if you're just like, mm-hmm. Oh, this sounds really interesting and really cool. You know, you don't have to dedicate a large chunk of your life or a large, large chunk of money to just finding out if it's something that interests you.
0: So wh- one step up from say the browser based music making tools, what, are, what about standalone applications? Um, and it, what, where do we go from there?
2: Yeah, so pretty much uh, if if you're interested in, you know, recording or mixing audio, at, at least from a PC perspective, um, you're going to want some sort of external audio interface. You know, they used to be called audio cards. You know, now they're audio interfaces or, or you know, boxes. And what these typically have is uh, some nowadays they are very good microphone preamp uh, preamplifiers that you can plug a microphone into and get really good audio quality like you know better than cd audio quality to your pc smartphone or tablet or laptop and uh you know in addition it has audio outputs uh you know that can you know drive a good pair of headphones um or or you know monitor speakers uh so you can hear uh you know with more fidelity what what you're actually creating very important um but a couple of brands that I that I really like uh, Focusrite um, is, a, is a British company. They've been making USB audio interfaces for a very long time. They're Scarlett, uh with two T's uh, range is very reasonably priced. Um, PreSonus is another one that they kind of invented the, you know, entry level USB audio device. Uh, so they have some there as well. A lot of these are super portable. They don't require external power supplies. Uh, so if you do have a laptop or or smartphone, you know you just throw this in in your laptop bag and wherever you are, you can just plug it right in, plug a microphone in, and uh, you know not just for you know music recording. You can obviously record a guitar or or vocalist with it, but you know um, field recording, uh, audio recording, um, you know even record your podcast uh, when you're away from your your desk as well. What I would recommend on that though is if you are getting into music production and portability is not a factor, get more inputs or audio outputs than you think you need at the moment, because, you know, you'll get another synthesizer, you'll, you know, you'll have a friend who wants to come over and plug their guitar or their bass in, or you want to record a drum set or something. And it helps to have those extra microphone inputs as well. So that additionally, um, you know, these audio interfaces come with uh, audio drivers that are better than the stock windows audio driver as well. So, um one of the enemies of the digital audio recording environment is latency um uh, where you know you push a note on your midi keyboard and there's a few milliseconds delay or worse you know tens or hundreds of milliseconds delay and if you're trying to record you know uh keyboard parts uh with a virtual synthesizer and we'll talk about that it becomes uh you know noticeable and really takes you out of the moment so the the audio drivers that come with these um you know, audio interfaces uh really uh really make things run a lot smoother.
1: Victor, on the it looks like that focus, right? And the how did you say that?
2: Oh presonus.
1: Presonus, it looks like there's a significant price difference between them. Do you see a large gap of the quality?
2: Um I have uh interfaces by both. Um if I mean if you can buy uh Focusrite uh some of their newer interfaces uh the mic preamp sound a little bit better I think than the Presonus. Um both of them have really good driver support. Um so you don't have to worry about uh you know the technology being left behind anytime mm-hmm. super soon. Um so I would I would say find something that fits the form factor and and your budget. Um you know it it in terms of most things you you get what you pay for uh but you know you know, it doesn't hurt to if if you buy, you know, if you if you buy small now, uh, and need to buy something bigger, you know, years down the road, not usually a problem because that smaller audio interface you bought now you can use as part of a portable setup or give it to your kid or something. Um, and then of course if you're a keyboard player like I am, you're going to want a MIDI keyboard to record, you know, keyboard parts or bass parts or um, many many keyboards nowadays uh, have drum pads on them, so if you've ever wanted to try your hand at like you know finger drumming on these uh velocity sensitive pads that they have um and a brand there there are a number of uh, manufacturers of these midi keyboards um two that i like because they offer a pretty good value price wise is akai which is uh, should, you know if you've been making music for a while you'd recognize that one they've been around since the 90s making samplers and and other things Um, They have a range of, you know, very small uh, MIDI keyboards Um, and then Arturia, which is a French company, uh, they actually make, you know, full size analog synthesizers, but they also have a number of um, uh, MIDI keyboards as well, some of which actually have, uh, you know, 16 step sequencers built right into the keyboard. So if you have an external synthesizer, you don't need your keyboard, you can build a little you know, sequence or a part into your keyboard uh, that you have, and then you don't need an external computer, which is fun if you want to do live shows and, you know, just have like, you know, looping parts and stuff. But both of those, I, I have uh, keyboards by both of those companies, and they're generally very good.
0: From there, we want, well, if you want to, if you're not a instrumentalist, but you want to have some vocalists on there, vocal work on there as well, um, microphones would be something you'd want to think about, right?
2: Yeah, so really when you get into microphones, um, you know, there's the microphone that you have, you know, on your webcam or on your headset mic. Uh and those are are typically very small electret condenser microphones which uh for the, for the size and the audio quality you get out of them for something like, you know, audio conferencing and stuff, very good, but if you want more audio fidelity, more dynamic, you know, more frequency range to pick up more of, you know, the the character of the instrument or voice you're recording. Um, the two types of microphones you'll be looking at nowadays are, you know, large diaphragm condensers, um, which require a uh, an audio interface that can provide, uh, you know, phantom power to it, which is a certain voltage just needed to run the circuitry um, in the microphone. And most most have that nowadays. Or dynamic microphones, and dynamic microphones are less sensitive, uh, generally speaking, than uh the large diaphragm condensers they're better for um you know drums putting on let's say a, a guitar ca- a cabinet to record a uh you know amplified guitar part or even like um you know broadcast purposes like recording a podcast so what i would recommend is uh you know there's a lot of really good youtube channels um that review uh microphones one i, I didn't put in the in the show notes just yet but uh podcast edge which is just the word podcast with the word, uh, with a G E after it, um, does a lot of really good microphone reviews, but there's other sites like audio where you can actually compare. If you're a tech geek, you know, you can compare the frequency plots. And I think they even have like, uh, you know, you can sample how different microphones sound on the same audio content as well. So um, but with any microphone, you want to find something that suits your voice. So, uh, you know, having a local music store is, is great where you can say, Hey, I want to just try this microphone out for a couple of days. Um, but one company that, that is pretty forgiving, you know, when it comes to, to that, if you just want to try out a microphone, have them send it to you, try it out and send it back. Um, you could try sweetwater.com as well. They, they sell a lot of music gear and stuff. So they're usually pretty cool with that.
0: Yes, they. I found them to be very helpful. They they have uh, people on call, you know, on the call you could talk to, and yeah, they're they're usually musicians themselves and know the stuff their stuff pretty well.
2: Yeah, talk to Billy. So,
0: (laughs) (laughs) excellent. Yeah, that's the thing is like with the as a podcaster, you realize how different your voice will sound from different microphones. And I've this is I've got a Road Pro uh, Procaster. Who is it? Roadcaster. They have yeah. two similar products: Rode Procaster and Rodecaster. The the microphone is the Rode Procaster, and I've got that one, and uh, I've used it for a number of years now, and I've I really like how my voice sounds on it um, versus the the old, the the cheap USB mic that I used before, and uh, yeah, it really everyone's voice is different, and as we know, and how a microphone. To, you know, turns that into, you know, in, in it, most microphones start analog, right? There's air blowing across them. Um, how they do that is different for, for different kinds of voices. So, yeah, I've, I never realized how, how big a deal it was, the different microphones. So um, excellent. So there are other applications we talked about, the browser-based yeah. ones. What about the other software that people
2: can use? So uh, a big business out there is what's called a digital audio workstation or DAW um DAW software and these have been around like I said since the 90s uh but they've gotten just more fully featured um and there's really been kind of like a, a split in the way that these um you know programs run if you've ever used like a video editor or any sort of like you know as they're called like nonlinear uh, nonlinear editors or audio editors um in the past you'll be for, you'll be familiar with software that kind of lays your Project out left to right, you know, on a timeline, you can think of a, you know, piano roll on a player piano, turn it 90 degrees, you know, you see, you know, you start of your song on the left and the end of your song on the right. And uh, in between, you can record audio data, you can record MIDI data, which is basically just like, you know, a spreadsheet for for music, it just doesn't contain any audio data itself, but it tells uh, instruments whether they're living within the DAW or external synthesizers, what notes to play. And then you can record that. Um, so that's kind of the like the prevailing paradigm has just been, you know, linear, you know, start to end recording different features you can put in there, um, automation of different parameters on your synthesizers and effects. And of course, which software you have, there's there's usually effects and instruments bundled in it. Um, but starting, you know, this is within the last, I would say, dozen years or so. Um, Ableton live has kind of come out with a, a different way of looking at it where, where things are really more based on scenes. So you have scenes that contain, you know, different, um, you know, instrumental parts and you can, you know, basically create an arrangement of, you know, a number of these scenes and then quickly flip between, you know, the scenes. So which parts are playing currently, you can flip very quickly. So if you're, a DJ or something performing live, it's really good for that. Um, because uh, you know, you can say play this scene for four bars and switch to this one. Oh, the crowd didn't like it. Okay, going back to this one, you know, and then go to the build-up, you know, and stuff. Um, but it's become actually a really good way of creating music because you can, you know, come up with these little short ideas, build them into scenes, and then, you know, record those scenes as a full uh song arrangement. And about five years ago, a group of developers split from Ableton and created their own software called Bitwig, B-I-T-W-I-G. And it's been a really interesting piece of software to watch develop because it is a lot of, um, you know, kind of new ideas in, in the audio uh, recording environment. So all of these things have, have free uh, uh, demos usually or inexpensive, like, you know, once uh, versions where the features are kind of stripped out but i can recommend bitwig um i can recommend uh, practically everybody who you know was was doing music production or wanted to be like a beats producer in the early uh 2000s got started with fl studio so um, or fruity loops as it was called then. So that's <laughs> that's also something out there that, yeah, and, and people still use it to great to great effect as well. So um, don't don't discount it. They've uh, the development team has uh has really kept it up to date. And the cool thing about that is I bought my copy in two thousand three, I think, and they have free lifetime upgrades. So wow. every year I get the next full version for for free so wow. yeah that's been a that was a good purchase but uh <laughs> there is a free version cakewalk which was a company based out in massachusetts cambridge i think um they you know went out of business got you know acquired i think they're they were acquired most recently by band lab which is a company out of singapore and they've decided to take the sonar product which was their flagship you know hundred developers product and offer it for free so it's still very much in that old paradigm where you have to spend quite a bit of time learning how to use it. But if you want like a full fledged recording, you know, application, um, you can check out you can check out Cakewalk um, Sonar. But for me, I, I like using Bitwig just because it's it's very inspirational to me. It's fun. It's colorful. Um, uh, Sonus we mentioned them before, has a, has a program called Studio One, which is, um, you know, very good as well. And then uh, but I find myself, you know, when I need to do audio editing using Reaper, just because uh, there's a lot of customization you can do and a lot of shortcuts you can create. And it's just if I have to do something quickly, I'll use I'll use uh, Reaper. And that's a, another mm-hmm. inexpensive program. If you're on a Mac, you you, you get GarageBand oh, yeah. for free. Yeah. yeah. And uh, an excellent program that, um, you know, Apple has has kept up to date and added features. So if you do have a Mac. You've either used GarageBand, uh, if you haven't, uh, I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And use, I'm no I've, musician. <laughs> yeah, and I've done songs in GarageBand. It's it's a lot of fun. Some of their um you know automatic instruments they have, and
0: yeah, yeah. It's it's I, a great. I love stringing Sketchband. loops together and, and yeah. just having fun with it like that. Just even if you're not a musician, that's the thing I wanted. I want to yeah. say is even if you're not a musician, but you like music, get one of these apps that lets you kind of just throw a bunch of you know uh, loops in there and string them together and, you know, just make something fun. And, and, and some of these apps will even, I think, in fact, I think GarageBand does it. I haven't used GarageBand in ages. They try, they kind of uh, modify the loops and things as you put them in to kind of make them work a little better together because you're, you're a, a Neanderthal who doesn't understand how music <laughs> works, you know? And it's like, Oh, this sounds actually pretty good. And, and so de- definitely have some fun. That's the thing, especially if you got kids, Introduce them to it. Let them yes. have some fun putting things together and maybe get them started in creating something good and beautiful like music or something really awful like some other music. <laughs> but
1: absolutely introduce them to music. Gra- Garage Band reminds me of when I was high schooler and you're really bad at guitar and you get the distortion pedal and all of a sudden yeah. you sound yeah, amazing.
2: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And like yeah, exactly. a long
1: delay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm be <laughs> Hendrix now.
2: Yeah. No. And that, and that is a really good point. I've been focused so much on the, uh, you know, production aspect. Um, but yeah, it is supposed to be fun. It's a hobby you're doing for fun, but um, you know, like, like any hobby, it, you have to be careful because it can reach a, a point at which it's no longer fun anymore and it feels like work. And uh, yeah. Right. So like, it's like woodworking or anything where you're, where you know, uh, or creating YouTube content or, or anything like that and and one thing that that people have really the kind of like the holy grail um has been to go daw less or you know i want to ditch my computer i want to you know ditch all my audio interfaces all these big pieces of software i have and i want to just you know turn off the computer and make some music without a computer and um y- you know and without a laptop too you know <laughs> or ipad or something and and yeah. so and so that's been the holy grail and there are quite a few and so a lot of um you know, hardware manufacturers have have sought to fill this niche. You know, uh, Digitact is a a German company. They make, uh, you know, various sampling things that have like, you know, MIDI sequencing built in so you can record, you know, external synthesizers. Um, You know, people build, you know, huge modular synthesizers that, you know, cost thousands and thousands of dollars. But one thing that I was really drawn to uh, was Akai, again, Um, You know, back in the, oh, it must have been the 90s, they created uh, something called the MPC, which was a, I think it stood for Music Production Center, and it was like a little sampler with these drum pads on it and um, house and electronic music production, you know, producers in the 90s uh, and early 2000s, hip hop artists you know, just bought these things up, dove into them, discovered, you know, ways of using these, uh, you know, these these little sampler music, you know, audio devices that the developers never um you know intended. And Akai has kind of kept in touch with how people have been using their products and has now uh released them as the MPC one or MPC Live Two, live um the live series runs off a battery has built-in speakers so you don't even need a power supply or or headphones Um, and it's basically a a computer running um, it's like an arm type processor probably running some version of you know linux or something but on top of it is a really solid audio um, music creation environment where you can import samples you know, record audio, slice it up, assign it to pads, you know, play it on the pads. It has built in synthesizer instruments right on the device. Uh, You can use the pads as a, you know, chromatic or assign it to a different scale or key and just play it that way. So um, and then basically, you know, add effects and export your songs as complete tracks. So not not cheap, but if you're the sort of person who's like, you know, I just want to get away from my computer when I when I create music and I want to go sit on the back porch or something. and you have the means, uh, definitely worth checking out. One of the things I like about the MPC MPC, uh, product as well is that they have a really vibrant community, especially on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube and type in like MPC1 O-N-E or MPC Live, you'll see like tons of channels where it's just people making music on them. And that's fun to watch too, just watching people kind of, you know, create stuff. Uh, One of my favorite channels is called Mallow, M-A-L-O Beats. And it's, uh, I think, a Portuguese... Um, you know, a guy who just makes lo-fi beats out of records, he he samples and stuff, and he walks you through the whole process, and it's, uh, you know, really relaxing to watch.
0: So, uh, mindful of our, our uh, yeah. time, I want to kind of jump to the end where we kind of talk about what if you want, if you've made the next great pop top 40 song, and you want to get it out there for everyone to, to to listen to, What is what are the options? I mean, do you have to get signed by a big record label?
2: No, and you probably won't, and you probably don't want to <laughs> <laughs> anymore <laughs> right, because right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and 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 yeah, I mean the music we've we've talked about this before on the on the podcast, but you know, the music uh, you know, distribution landscape has changed uh, you know, radically. You have people like Bill Wurtz, um, B-I-L-L-W-U-R-T-Z, very talented musician, songwriter makes his own little animated videos for his songs he'll put something out there and within a day it has three or 4 million views. You know, that's not going to show up on the billboard charts. It should, you know, but, uh, and, and, you know, I don't know what that translates into in terms of, uh, dollars for him, but it keeps him making music. Um, so yeah, just, if you have something, it's, it's free to create a YouTube channel. Um, you know, get, get out your phone and record, you know, blades of grass blowing in the wind and then, Use whatever, you know, Windows Movie Maker or iMovie or whatever and put your music over that, you know, footage, you know, upload it to YouTube. There you have a music video. Right. And uh, it may take a while. Um, you know, you may get three views for your first hundred songs, but, you know, after that, you may get 20 or 100 views. You know, you never know. Right. Um, right. You know, and then SoundCloud is another free space you can upload music to Um But if you do want uh, to make money and you aren't, you know, monetized on YouTube, there are a number of services, Uh, CD Baby um, used to be one of these companies that would make CDs for you for like vanity projects and stuff. Uh, But they distribute your music to every streaming platform you've ever heard of. And like a couple of dozen you've never heard of. Um, Yeah. And and you get your, uh, you know, when somebody plays it, you get your... Half a cent or whatever, you know. But um and you know, they will send you a, a check once you once you clear like twenty-five dollars. That's always like the big milestone. It's like, oh did my music make twenty-five dollars this month? Um <laughs> but uh and then uh, distrokid, you know, and they'll, they'll charge you, I don't know what it is now, like forty bucks to put a single or whatever up on all these services, and then it just stays up there. Um DistroKid is is uh another service that I haven't used, but it's kind of like you pay a flat fee and then as much music is you can crank out. So if you're just cranking out beats and stuff and you're like, I'm gonna, you know, just spam the music stores with all the nice Which probably isn't like the most like <laughs> like artistic integrity thing to do. But if you if you just have something you want to get out there, you know, this is that's uh, a one way to do it. It's just, you know, a flat rate for as much as you can possibly crank out and then you pay them monthly or whatever. But yeah, so there's there's lots of ways now uh you know, to get your music on Amazon Music or Spotify or or you know, iTunes, uh, anything you can think of. There. Awesome.
0: Well, that's that is actually a great overview, and uh, I, I appreciate you going through the effort to to put that all together for us. Um, there is lots, lots, lots more to talk about with yeah. music creation and in your tech, and so, and I'm sure. Listeners have questions. If you do have questions, we want to hear them. You can send them to us, technology at sqpn.com or visit our SQPN Discord community uh, at sqpn.com slash Discord and find the Secrets of Technology channel there and ask your questions there. We we would love to hear from you. And hey, we want to hear your musical creations. So let us us know. Mm -hmm. Share those with us. That would be awesome. Excellent. And so let's before we move on to our headlines, I want to share with you uh, that we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Stephanie D, Henry H, Wojciech D, William M, and Andrew T. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. All right. Our first headline uh, of this week is about Facebook. Facebook doesn't know where your data is. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, so, Facebook. What are oh, we going to do with you? Did, did you check the back of your closet? So the uh, th- this is based on a leaked document that came out that the motherboard got a hold of. And with all the regulations coming out from all all around the world all these different countries and you know conglomerations of countries like the EU about how these companies use our data and how it you know they need to secure it facebook has got a big problem which is, is that they have not done a good job of keeping track of where the, their users data is in their vast systems uh this is the uh, from the uh internal document this is what it says. Uh, We've built systems with open borders. The result of these open systems and open culture is well described with an analogy. Imagine you hold a bottle of ink in your hand. This bottle of ink is a mixture of all kinds of user data. Third-party data, first-party data, data. sorry, my Boston coming out. First-party data, uh, <laughs> uh, SCD, something-something data, European data, etc. You pour that ink into a lake of water, our open data systems, our open culture, and it flows everywhere how do you put that ink back in the bottle how do you organize it again such that it only flows to the allowed places in the lake you don't is the answer to that <laughs> rhetorical question uh so and basically the facebook's defense is look you know we you can't punish us for not keeping the data secure because we've been so bad at <laughs> keeping data connected to the indi- the individual users that we couldn't possibly be misusing it because it's it's gone everywhere.
2: What do you guys think of this story? This it's- is my shocked face. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, i mean is anybody really surprised at this point with all the you know this is like every year like uh, over the holidays like when nobody would notice it like clockwork it's like oh facebook you know this third-party company gave all your data away or as you know as long as facebook was cashing the checks i think they were okay with their policy of um you know limited data governance um but i mean you know, as everybody says, if you're if you're, you know, if you're using the product for free, right, you're the you're the product. Right. So, I mean, your data yeah. is is the product. And I don't I don't think anybody at this point could be surprised that, you know, you know, Facebook has no idea where your data is or how it's being used um, because you don't have any idea where your data is or how it's being used.
1: <laughs> right. Right. The, the excuse sounds like um, mother, you can't possibly punish me for my behavior, I've chosen my friends badly. Right.
0: <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. That's that's that sounds about right. Yeah, I mean when, there's no there's no surprise here. Facebook, we've known for a long time. Facebook does not have our our best wishes at heart. Uh they're they're our data they look at our data as their property to do with as they will, to exploit, uh and they've treated it that way from the beginning. And now we're trying to put the genie back in the bottle, you know, close Pandora's box after the fact, uh, and it's proving to be impossible. I mean, that's essentially what, that's another analogy they could use is Pandora's box. We opened the box. There was no regulation when they did it. It was a, it was, it was, you know, free for all. And that's all gone now. The, the, the efforts to secure that data, that information, um, there's one privacy advocate from Ireland who says, uh, it's a black and white recognition of the absence of any data protection. Facebook details how it breaks each principle of data protection law. Everything it does to our data is illegal. You're not allowed to have an internal data free for all. I, I mean, that's that's uh, certainly an interpretation of it. Um, I'd be curious to see how is the if the EU goes anywhere with that and and tries to prosecute Facebook for
2: for this. Yeah, or, or California too, because they have the same kind of laws now in California as well.
1: Mm, mm, yeah. yeah, I'd say if you're using Facebook, one, remember to use either containers in your browsers or um, private browsing when you're using Facebook yeah. And two, get their app off your phone right now because yeah. it's not doing anything good there.
0: Yeah, it's better than it used to be because the app, uh, at least on iPhones, because Apple has cracked down a bit on what the fu- but they used to Facebook used to do this thing where they would play a silent sound. So a sound with no data in it to keep the app active in the background, <laughs> uh, which which is why your phone's battery would die when, yeah. if you had the uh, Facebook app on it. Uh, yeah, Apple did way, you know, cracked down on that one about six or seven years ago. But yeah, it's just yeah. It's just poorly programmed apps to, uh, on top of it. I mean, it's sometimes some of it's malicious and some of it's just bad programming. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it. you sometimes wonder, is it incompetence or malice or maybe both? I don't know. Uh, anyway, this, this is turning into a, a Facebook bashing session, which is why I don't do a lot of Facebook stories <laughs> because I can yeah. bash Facebook all the time.
2: What's what's oh, the what's the maximum never never attribute to malice? What what can be attributed to simple stupidity or yes. something along yes. those lines, yeah.
1: But yes. if or we my- if we keep bashing um, Facebook after the last episode that we had tech flops, I had to use a Microsoft <laughs> product after bashing Microsoft so much. Yeah. So <laughs> All right, let's, right. <laughs> let's stop before I have to record our next episode on Facebook.
0: <laughs> actually, uh, that actually came down this week was Facebook is abandoning their their podcast uh, product that they started offering last year. So they did the, they had this thing where podcasters we could uh, submit our feeds connected to our Facebook pages, and then they would post episodes where people could listen to the episodes on Facebook. And I I was always like, yeah, "Yeah, sure, why not? It's another place for people to listen. I don't care. It doesn't hurt me. Except they never created an interface for admins of the pages to be able to look at people's comments. There was no way (laughs) to see and respond. I could see that people were commenting, but there was no way for me to go and read those comments. Like I couldn't even go in a private capacity because as soon as I went to my page, it flipped me to the admin section, you know, uh, setting, I would have to create a fake, uh, profile in order to even read the comments. It's just, oh yeah. It's still can't started with how bad Facebook is in those regards. Uh, the, the, uh, my, uh, my new favorite maxim is play stupid games, win stupid prizes. And that's basically what Facebook has done. They've won stupid prizes. All right, moving on, moving on. Uh, our next headline, uh, involves Apple and they recently were getting some criticism. Uh, for alerting developers that abandoned software, quote unquote, on the App Store is going to start to be removed. And it turns out this is not a new policy. Uh, they've had this policy in place for six years or so, I guess, uh, as we record this. And what it is, is if an app has not been updated, has so has not received an update from the developer within the last three years, and does not meet some minimum download threshold, like hasn't been downloaded In that time, more than some number of times what they didn't say, then the developer will get an email saying, hey, we're looking at uh, removing your app from the store unless you update it. And then if they don't still don't update it, it gets removed. Now, I'm kind of okay with removing abandonware from the store. I don't like seeing abandoned apps sitting there for people to to potentially buy and download uh, and then it doesn't work it doesn't isn't good, especially on newer hardware newer newer operating systems uh, but on the other hand, there is such a thing as feature complete as apps you know it doesn't need an update it it has no bugs, it does what it does uh, uh, but uh, what, what do y'all think uh, is this is, has Apple struck the right balance here?
1: now with the update, there's things that I can be updating on the back side of my app. And never yes. need to be updating the app itself, and so I may have never updated an app, but the app the interface itself and the security of the app is being fully maintained on the back side of that app um and so that's where I kind of
0: yeah they um yeah app for, from apple's point of view they don't see that, so they they and in fact they're using update as a proxy for, there's still a developer who's paying attention to this and maintaining it. That's yeah. really what the, what it is. It's a proxy for for something, another uh, detail, another criterion, uh, and it may not be a good proxy as you as you point out.
1: And and then what is defined as update? Can I um, can I just update the help section of my app? Can I just update a couple words? Right? Yeah. Or is it really? <laughs>
0: That's a good point because in the past, Apple I've seen developers talk about how Apple kicking back an update because it was not a substantial update. It didn't. It it didn't like, which is also kind of boggle. You've you've approved the app in the past, and now you won't let me update it because it's not a substantial update. It I there's nothing in the article that we'll post a link to about that. Here, so I don't know if that's the case here. I've seen some developers talking about, well, I'll just change the wording on on the splash screen or something like that, or update the copyright date or something like the you know insubstantial on it and to keep it alive. Uh, but even then, like maybe there's you change the colors of the interface or something, and that should be enough uh that's my guess is that you don't really need to do much like updating your help section that would probably count as substantial so uh yeah it's it's a tough problem like yeah what you you've, you've got millions of apps in the store 90% of maybe not 90% but maybe 50% of them are you not are useless i mean even ones that are being maintained quote unquote are are bad apps this you know the that yeah. so
1: and then remember, there's there's iOS apps um, just thinking of this, that if they came out three years ago, screen sizes and aspect ratios were different. And so is that there's also a quality control thing here um, that Apple builds their app store as a walled environment um, that is about a user experience And so part of it, they have a responsibility of maintaining that user experience on their phones, right? And so I blame them if I have apps that are really ugly on my phone and the blame goes on them.
0: I've got a few apps that are very old that are like that, where they just... They look bad and they don't they don't even work right on my on my new phone. They're, you know, they're very old apps that I've tried to I've redownloaded and tried to get running again. I'm like, oh,
1: I remember this old app to throw one one under the bus would be um, there was that Catholic eye confession app. Yeah. That hasn't been updated in years. And it looks extremely ugly if you can even run it anymore. I haven't checked in a while.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. a and that's, gosh, let's talk. I mean, we could talk about Catholic apps <laughs> for a while, but there are there are a lot of Catholic apps that got shoveled out when it was the the big thing, and yep. they just died, they just got abandoned. And it's, it, I think there's an anti-evangelistic. I don't know if that's a word. Or <laughs> what they really mean, but this. It's it's a negative experience for people in their faith when they're trying to use these apps that have been handed to them to help them with their in their devotional life or their sacramental life, and it and then they stop working, they get abandoned, they kinda get left by the road. It's like if you're gonna if you're doing an apostate like this, you're gonna commit to it, like long term. Not forever necessarily, but you know, you get it it's not a it should not be a um trial balloon a fad i mean this is the thing we, we, as 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 qpn we've been doing podcasts for over 15 years actually going on 17 18 years at this point you know we you know we're committed to it long term we're, we're we're you know that, that's that's the that's the sign that's the anyway that's that's a whole nother point but
2: uh, <laughs> I don't yeah go on and a that's even on Android, on the uh, Google Play Store, the very first thing I do when I'm considering downloading a new or even purchasing a new app is the first thing I do is go into the more info and look at last update. And if it was yeah. more than about, you know, four months ago, I kind of give it a pass because it tells tells me that developers not really committed to it. You know, Android could, you know, come up with a new update in the next month or something and, and the app would would not work anymore. And so I don't know, it just I like to know that, you know, there's someone out there kind Mm -hmm. of shepherding the product and and keeping it alive and feeding it.
0: I'm the same way with iOS. Like if they haven't updated since before the last major iOS update, uh, I get a little leery of it. Um, Or WordPress plugins is another one like that, where I'm going to install a WordPress plugin. uh, It's got to have thousands of users, tens of thousands or even better. And it's going to have been updated in the last few months at most because Facebook updates come out all the time. And I want to know that that thing is actively developed if it's going to be running on my website.
1: Yeah. And even WordPress gives you um, warnings about plugins, um, very similar to what Apple's Mm -hmm. doing here um, about, hey, you probably should look out. There might be security holes in this.
0: Right. Right, it's it's so old, it's not been updated, there might be uh, security uh, bugs, it's not been updated for the latest version of the uh, WordPress, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, that, definitely. So I want to get one more headline in before we get to our picks of the week, because this is a kind of a cool one. Uh, Amazon has announced that you will now be able to upload EPUB eBooks mm. on your Kindles. This is a long standing problem with Kindles. So you kind of get to know a little bit of the history of, ebook files. But uh, back in the day, the original ebook format was the Mobi format made for an e-reader called Mobi Pocket. There, were, Well, not the original, but the one that got the biggest traction back in the day. And there was a lot of stuff that was compatible with the Mobi f- format. And even up to to, to recent days, uh, a lot of stuff was on Mobi. And then Amazon built its ebook, proprietary ebook format on top of the Mobi format. And that's the uh, KFX format that you see nowadays that their books are in, and those are proprietary and, and uh, digital rights managed and locked down that sort of thing. But you could, if you had the right software, get an uh, EPUB, which is the most popular file format out there for that runs on everything yeah. else. <laughs> um, you could convert it using various software. I I use a a, a cross platform open source software called caliber to, to do those conversions. And then you could, and you convert it into a Kindle format and put it on your Kindle. Uh, But now Amazon has finally, finally said, we will actually do that for you. So you can't, you can't do it by connecting your Kindle to your computer and then doing the drag and drop. Uh, but what you can do is you can either use the email to Kindle or the, uh, you know, if you, you have, a, you, every Kindle owner gets a special email address yep. and if you email a document to that address, it'll put it on your Kindle um, or you could use the Send to Kindle app that you can get for your Mac or your PC and uh, various, and probably Linux as well. And that will also do it. And what it's doing is converting it. You could, you already do that with PDFs. You could send them a PDF and they would convert it and put it on your Kindle. And now they're doing this with EPUBs. Uh, what do you guys think? Is this a big deal? Do you, you, do you both, do you guys have
2: Kindles? I, I have a couple. I couldn't tell you where they are. At the moment, I use my phone and I have a moon e-reader on it, which reads PDFs, EPUBs, text, whatever on it. And it's it has a really it's a really cool interface and stuff. But yeah, I yeah, this would have been very useful to me maybe like six years ago. So back
1: back in my um, early adopter days, um, I had to hang my head in shame as I adopted the Nook. Um, Barnes & Noble's device, and this was before Amazon um, became the overlord of the world that they are now, Um, Mm -hmm. and I had put my eggs in the basket of the Nook. Um, I still believe um, that the Nook really was actually the better device. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just like but, Betamax. It was, yeah, it was a proto tablet. Yeah. Yeah. And we're kind of going back into our last episode we had, right? Yes. The flops yeah. aren't always, and I would, but I would classify the Nook as a flop. Um, yeah. But it was a better device, but it didn't, the um, library market out there, the buy in of libraries, um, and um, mm-hmm. just all of that in the marketing, they didn't right. have it. And yeah. so I had to hang my head in shame when I um ended up buying a Kindle. Um, <laughs> so while yeah. I like this that all my EPUB hub books um work, I'm still waiting for the day that Barnes and Noble will find a way to free my close to hundred Nook books.
2: <laughs> oh yeah.
0: There's there's not no one has come up with a way to uh
1: convert no, them. They are all proprietary and locked down in their format.
2: No. Cuz no, there's, there's a, nook a cracker. They, yeah.
0: There's, oh wow, that's that's amazing. Cuz the Kindle format's been cracked. I've I've uh you can you can use EPUB. Uh, I'm sorry, you can use Calibre to convert Kindle books to EPUB format. I've uh, I've done that oh, wow. for um backup purposes. Mm-hmm. I've I've almost lost my entire Kindle library. Uh oh. Amazon's on to me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, they, uh, the Echo was just, did the was uh, yeah, just telling me it's coming. Did the aid lady aid <laughs> lady yes. respond to you?
0: Yes. Uh she says uh I've uh, this might answer your question. Backup can be used for archiving and restoring a backup. Thanks oh, for well, that. Well thanks. That, that's nice. That's a great tautology. Um so, yeah. So I you can you 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 can take the Kindle format and go backwards to EPUB. So that's interesting that you can't do it with a Nook. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm all in on Kindle. Uh, my all of my kids have Kindles. My wife and I are Kindle. I read every book I can as an ebook. That because I just I'm more likely to read them that way. I'm an mm-hmm. ebook uh, fan. I I I. I like the idea of the apple books system. I have some apple books. I never read them because I don't want to read books on my phone or on an iPad. I just don't. Uh, I want e-pa- e-ink, e-paper. Like the uh just that works better for me.
1: Yeah, Kindle definitely won the format war on that.
2: Definitely, definitely. It's still hard for, it's still hard for me though when I go on Amazon and the actual physical book with free shipping costs less than the Kindle book.
0: Yeah. That mm-hmm, yeah. that is drives me crazy that the digital version costs as as much as or more than the physical copy. It be, there's no reason for that because the the author's not getting that money. No, no, <laughs> no. Amazon's getting all of yeah, that. Yeah, and so if
1: Amazon really wants to, when they send me my paper box that is six times the size of the item that I've ordered, <laughs> and put this holding, how green friendly they are. Um, yeah. For all the Amazon execs listening to us right now, if you really want to be green friendly, make my ebooks cheaper than the real book.
0: <laughs> there you go. Yes. There you go. All right, let's move on to uh, wrap up with our picks of the week. And Father Joseph, I'm going to have you go first. What is your pick this week?
1: Oh, and my pick this week is um, called Standard Notes. Um, and if you've listened to me, you've probably gathered that I jump back and forth through. Pretty much every platform there is um, between the Apple sphere, the Google sphere, the iPhone, Windows, everything. And so I wanted a note taking app um, like my iPhone notes app that I'd be able to jump between platforms and be that. And I found standard notes Um, and positives about this one. You guessed it. It's open source. Yeah. Yeah. Two, it's just easy to use. Um, and three, the best thing, it's free. Um, they do nice. have a paid version that lets you use like markdown language and do tables in it and all different sorts of things, but the free version has been good enough for me. Um, and um the sync between devices has been very good. Um, and so just very simple good note-taking app um, that can mm. run between all your different platforms and works well. Cool. Is excellent. I, yeah.
0: I mean, there's lots of others out there like notion and stuff like that, but this is much simpler um, and straightforward. It looks like it's cool. Yeah, I
2: like the the presentation on it. And I mean, obviously I don't know who's reading your notebooks at that point. So probably any sensitive manifestos you might be writing, uh, you know, keep that to your, uh, you know,
1: end to end encryption. Oh, okay. It is one of the positives. Oh, there it is. It. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it has end-to-end encryption, which I'm not even sure if Apple's is doing end-to-end. I'm not. Yeah, it is. It, it is. is. Well, it's on yeah. iCloud, so it would be. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. If you're on iCloud, you're going to be end-to-end encrypted on all those files. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's another positive note I forgot to put. I've yeah. been using it about six months now. Um, and... I've completely abandoned using the notes app on my iPhone yeah. for this alone.
2: Yeah, I guess we'll, I guess we'll know if this is really catching on when celebrities start um, posting their apology notes on, on Twitter using this. You know, they type <laughs> out, they're type like, they're, please don't yeah. cancel me. I, I've learned my lesson notes. Uh, yeah, and then, I've seen uh, so
0: yeah. many Apple notes like that. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, that's good. That's good. And if the the paid plan starts at 30 bucks a year, which is not not bad no, at all for yeah. a for a paid plan all right excellent
2: uh victor what's your pick this week um well i was fortunate enough to uh pick up one of the newer models of nintendo switch the one with the oled screen um it has a larger screen uh better battery life and um while i can't recommend if you currently have a switch going out and upgrading to one in in my case, uh, I was able to give the one that I was using to our, our younger kids. Um, it really does. Uh, it has a much better screen. I mean, you're not getting better performance, you know, runs the same games and everything. But the screen is bigger, brighter, uh, looks really good. And, um, you know, the extra battery life is a plus as well. So they uh, when that first came out uh, several months ago, you couldn't find one anywhere. They are they are available now um, uh, for a little bit more than the, than the price of a of a regular switch. But again, if you know, if you have a switch already, um, you know, you can give it to a to a kid or or, you know, uh, someone pass it along and pick one of these up and if you don't have a switch, this is, you know, it's the model worth getting. All right, so
0: your pick is the uh, is the uh, Nintendo Switch OLED model or
2: Well, yeah. And so whenever you you buy a switch or any game system, you know, there's other controllers you need to buy and uh, the, you know, the mm. Nintendo Switch comes with the two Joy-Con which are uh, marvels of modern engineering in their own right they have infrared cameras in them and there are various you know game builder uh, programs that nintendo has where you can lock the features and you can actually see what the infrared camera sees it's pretty cool they have gyroscopes they have near field communication readers in them um and, but you know they're they're expensive they're 80 dollars a pair they're a pro controller which is basically just a wireless um you know controller uh is is 70 or 80 dollars usually so there are some third-party makers, a lot of third-party makers making controllers for the Nintendo Switch, and one that I've had really good uh, luck with is the Power A Enhanced uh, Wireless Controller, and they come in all sorts of different styles. And the cool thing about them coming in all these different styles is usually there's one style that's like $10 less than, you know, kind of the base price. So for $35, $40, you can get a really solid um, controller for your Switch instead of paying twice as much for the Nintendo one. And kind of knowing that it's not just some you know, fly-by-night company. It's an actual pretty good uh, controller there.
0: So my pick this week is the software update for 1Password 8 for Mac. that uh, just came out this week. They, they released it. Uh, the general release that came out this week. I've been a 1Password user for ages, and I know that uh, there are a lot of other uh, password uh, uh, managers out there, but uh, 1Password has done it for me for so long. Uh, they've really, this is a top-to-bottom overhaul, uh it it's sleek it's new it uh it uses the new electron app technology which allows them to do cross uh platform development a lot easier uh which some have criticized uh there's some good and some bad of the new one password 8 uh they have these n- new modal dialogs now when you're creating passwords so it used to be that i could you know, I sign into a website. It wants me to create a password. I let put the password in and one password would pop up a box and say, Hey, did you want to save this new password? And I could ignore it and, and submit the password on that website and only, only replace the old password in one password. When I knew that the new password worked because some yeah. websites are really obnoxious about, Oh, you didn't turn around twice and say, please, before creating a new password. Well now it's a modal dialog so I can't do that. So you you kind of oh you kind of on the hook a little bit which is I, I don't like that. I'm going to submit a bug report or something to their support on that because maybe I'm doing something wrong or what. But I don't like that modal dialogs are bad. I think they're always bad. Just don't do that. Um, the other thing that was kind of weird is uh it used to be that whenever I unlocked one password I have a personal one password account and a work one for StarQuest and when I would log into one password, it would unlock both vaults. Now I have to unlock each vault separately. It's kind of a pain, a little bit of a pain, Um, especially if, if the thing auto locks after 15 minutes, I'm constantly unlocking it. So, uh, so I'm not, I'm not thrilled with that, Uh, uh, but I may be doing something wrong. And there may be a preference I can set. One thing that's really nice is they have a new universal browser. They call it, which is if I'm in an app and not a web page it can still recognize the app. So like when uh, uh, Zoom wants me to log in on, in the app, not on a browser, I can. it will pop up the 1Password dialog box and log in on the app for me. Yay, no more copy pasting from, from the 1Password app. Uh, so that's much better. I'm, I'm really pleased with that. And there's a whole bunch of other uh, great uh, updates and features. The uh, Watchtower, which is the... Uh, there's, there, there, it's a dashboard that tells you about you know so many um, so many of your logins have bad passwords and so many are oh, wow. these are duplicates. That's good. These these can all have two factor authentication turned on. So lots of really nice things like that uh, in there. And I, I I spent like an hour today just going through that and really cleaning out my vault of of all the croft and updating old passwords and stuff like that so uh, i'll put a link to their blog post that talks about all the new features and you can check it out and they have a showcase like a that shows shows all the features and you can you can check that out for yourself but i i am a one password fan and i heartily recommend it
2: yeah i I bought into it i bought it like you know a dozen years ago for the flat fee and stuff and i think it's still they still honor that and stuff, so I have to go back and I haven't used it in oh. many years and stuff and check it out.
0: One thing that, that I got to point out that other people have criticized is that there, you can no longer host your own file on your own mm. Dropbox. The uh, Dropbox oh, it is now yeah. cloud only. Okay, it,
1: are they end to end encryption on those? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 good.
0: Yeah, uh, but yeah, it is. Um, it is cloud only now. So uh, I mean the the old product. Um, I think like 1Password 7 will still work for a while. That's the one that you could still do it. But 1Password 8 is now cloud only. Because that
1: was one of their big selling points. Um, Alternative, if you're someone who still wants to self-host your password manager, um, is Bitwarden. um, It allows Mm -hmm. you to self-host. You can also do cloud-hosted. I do cloud-hosted, just I find it easier. But they do allow you to self-host still, so.
0: Yeah. The one thing I love about 1Password is that I can, I have a family plan and my wife yes. and my kids and my mom, and we have a shared vault so that my wife has access to all the important passwords um, where anything to happen or, you know, Netflix. <laughs> so they, can, they can always, <laughs> that's a big can one, always get yeah. into Netflix. Yeah. The vital passwords that we need that we need to share. Yeah. Um, but uh, so that's one of the things I love about it. And for work, we have a team. One, So the various yep. members of the SQPN team can get access to things and they don't have to That's send good. passwords in the clear and that sort of stuff. So, um, but yeah, 1Password is great. All right, so that should do it for us. We would love to get your feedback and hear from you what you thought of our discussion. Let us know if you have any questions or comments. You can go to sqpn.com slash technology or the StarQuest Facebook page, facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. You can send an email to technology at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. And links from our discussion and our picks of the week will be in our show notes at sqpn.com. Make sure to follow The Secrets of Tech in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or at the StarQuest YouTube channel where you should be sure to hit the bell to get notifications. We'd like to thank James for his research assistance on this episode. And until next time, Father Joseph Sund, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. You're welcome. Victor Lambs, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of technology on StarQuest.